if you are excellent at something, be grateful, one, that you are excellent at anything, um, but also understand that you can't be excellent at everything. Nobody is the best at everything. And so, you know, blocking out these things, for example, if you're really focused on being uh, a family man, right? Well, then you can't compare yourself also to the person who focuses only on being the best businessman, right? Because you can't be both a good family person and a good businessman, or at least you can't be excellent at both. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, it's just my co-host, Scott Farrow, and myself. We're excited to be back in the studio doing another book review, the first time in a while. And uh, both of us really eager to jump into this one because uh, I think we've got <laughs> we've got a good discussion coming up uh, on this book. So, Scott, how you doing, my friend? Dude, I'm good. Yeah, this was like the first book uh, that we didn't think was just amazing. I think you're going to hear it kind of in our commentary today. Uh, There was stuff that was good about it. There was stuff that we disagreed with adamantly. Um, But it's good to read books that you don't fully agree with. I feel like it tests, you know, your uh, what you think is right and wrong. And, you know, sometimes you discover new uh, beliefs. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting book for us to talk about. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And so the whole reason we we read this and are doing the book review in the first place is because I don't think I've had any person not like when they're recommending the book to me, obviously they're recommending it for a reason. I don't think I've had really any negative feedback from anybody who's recommended the book. So we're sitting here going like, dude, We've heard all great things about it. Yeah. We've got to do a review on it. And so, um, you know, I'll preface it with this. I think, you know, obviously after listening to to our book review, you know, t- take with it as you will. But, you know, depending on how you take it, I think it's always good to read it because the, the message may resonate with some people. I mean, everybody who recommended the book to us recommended it for a reason. So it may connect with, you know, people better uh, than it did with the two of us. But not to say we still found some really great points in here. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's start it off. I let's mean, do it. The, the author, Kate and I both read the book and we watched the author's uh, video summary because yeah. he wanted to clarify a few points. Um He's very clear that this is like an anti-conventional self-help book and that it's literally exactly opposite of what most help books are about. Um, I think that might have been the biggest thing that threw us off. Uh, For example, uh, his opinion is that whenever you start paying attention to something that you don't have, it specifically focuses on what you are not and makes you miserable. Um, Like if you want to be happy... And all you think about is that, hey, I want to be happy or I am happy. You're subliminally telling yourself I am not happy and thus making yourself less happy. And it's a paradoxical relationship that constantly requires you to think about the positive and it then forces you to be negative. So I don't know. It didn't quite make sense to me. I personally don't feel like I've experienced that, but that's his core belief. Yeah, it's super... Like you you said, it's a little bit confusing and it's... It's so interesting, too, because, you know, reading it from our standpoint or or from my standpoint, I mean, 
the the it, the concept makes sense a little bit, but then it's like you know, not like we were saying. I, I never really experiencing it like that, right? I mean, he he makes the example, you know, that a happy person doesn't need to tell themselves they're happy. They don't, you know, go into the mirror and, and chant and tell themselves, you know, I'm happy all the time. So, I mean, it's <laughs> get it, the book starting off on that foot. I think for me was yeah. kind of like okay. Okay, what what are we uh-huh. going to get into here? And so, you know, that may may have played a part into, um, you know, some of our analysis going into it. But, you know, we'll take it from there. Well, and and yeah, so I think that may have set the tone for how yeah. we viewed the book. Yeah, um, I think so too. Okay, the second thing he kind of talks about is about okay, what is not giving a fuck because. You know, uh, we are big proponents of, you know, making sure that you're never lukewarm, right? You know, if you're going to make the decision, be bold about it. He talks about the same thing. He's like, look, not giving a fuck doesn't mean be indifferent or not care. It's simply about picking which things you care about, right? So blocking out all the distractions and negativity, or in this case, positivity, um, and picking certain things that you are focused on and making that important. That's what he means by, you know, not giving a fuck. And I think that clarification and distinction, you know, was something I really connected with. Right. One of the things in the book that I was like, okay, yeah, that like this is legit. Right. Because you can't be, you know, in the real estate space. Right. If, um, you know, we use this phrase like putting out a fire. Right. When shit hits the fan with a deal or with the escrow or with a client. And, you know, if you are just constantly in a state of worry and stress and worrying about every single thing that's going on in, in your deal, every single emotion that your client's feeling, every single emotion your, your seller is feeling, right? I agree. That is completely the wrong way to go about it, right? So, you know, being able to pick and choose what you are putting your time, energy, thoughts, emotions, what you're giving a fuck about, um, I think that there is some truth and and there was, you know, some good takeaways from, from that concept. Yeah. Well, and so he, I mean, I like that because you kind of dove deep into one specific thing, which is like in that sphere of where you're good at pick, you know, to only focus on certain things. But he also is like, Hey, in the age of technology, all you're given all the time are the absolute best at everything. And so he's like, you know, um, what it allows is for everybody to only see excellence and then they compare themselves to the most excellent elite people in different things and they just consider themselves terrible at everything right and so you know there's a point to be made that if you are excellent at something be grateful one that you are excellent at anything um, but also understand that you can't be excellent at everything nobody is the best at everything and so you know blocking out these things for example if you're really focused on being Uh, a family man, right? Well, then you can't compare yourself also to the person who focuses only on being the best businessman, right? Because you can't be both a good family person and a good businessman, or at least you can't be excellent at both. If you are, you're breaking some rules. I I don't know anybody who's good or excellent at both, you know? Yeah. There's always, um, there's always a give and a take, right? And I think the next, you know, there, there's another point here that kind of leads us into, it's something Manson calls, you know, the feedback loop from hell. And it's another interesting concept, right? Where, you know, if you are feeling angry about being angry, or if you're feeling really anxious 
And then you're anxious about being anxious, right? You're just kind of putting yourself in this loop, right? So, you know, it, it just compounds and compounds and compounds. It gets gets worse and worse and worse. And you fall into that cycle in that trap of, you know, if you're constantly feeling this about that or that yeah. about this, it can be very hard to break that cycle and break that loop and get out of, you know, those negative emotions that you're feeling. Yeah, I get that a lot with anxiety. I'll be really anxious about a deal. And then I get anxious that I'm even anxious about the deal. And then I'm like anxious that I'm suffering from anxiety about being anxious. And, uh, you know, Mark Manson's solution is to, quote, not give a fuck and say, okay, I'm anxious, but who gives a fuck? That's the exact quote from the book. So don't get mad at me. Um, And his idea is that by in this situation, like not caring, you're essentially telling yourself it's okay to be upset or it's okay to be stupid or whatever and accept that that's what it is. And then... His next step is like, okay, go find a way to get past it, which that's where you start seeing things that we actually agree with in the book. Yeah. So I don't know. You tell me when you, you know, fall, like you were saying, when you feel that way with, you know, feeling anxious and stuff like that, you know, do you find yourself just going like, okay, just don't give a fuck about being anxious, go and fix it or not currently. So tell me like what what do you do and do you feel like this is a better way to kind of short circuit that feedback or this is where the book this is why i was like maybe i don't dislike the book maybe i just dislike (laughs) being told that i'm currently wrong right and that that is a part of the book is talking about exactly acknowledging when you're wrong um i would say this is probably a way of solving it my thought would be that when you say i don't give a fuck um, it, you don't quite understand what caused it in the first place. That was exactly You don't my go thought. and figure out why am I feeling this way in the beginning. Um, it's kind of like the man up method, you know, like don't be a bitch, just go do it, which some people I think function well on. And I think other people, uh, like we've seen generations who lived by that. And then, you know, you look at like the world war two vets and the Vietnam vets. I mean, they struggled with some of the worst depression and, and, anxiety and issues later in life because they constantly just bottled it away and just said whatever and i think the idea of just saying yeah i feel like shit but who gives a fuck i feel like that's kind of um it's a really shallow way of solving it yeah no and that was exactly my thought too when kind of reading through that and and it's you know, again, who who are we to say there? There's one way um, that's better than the than the other at at dealing with stuff like that. Um, like you said, you know, definitely a potential solution that may work better for some people and not as well for people like you and me, right? Who who think my exact thought was, you know, if I'm feeling this way, why am I feeling this way? What can I trace it back to? to resolve or solve whatever that is to make sure that whatever reason I'm feeling this way, I'm, I don't get caught in that feedback and keep feeling that same thing over and over and over. Yeah. Now let's just jump to yeah what not giving a fuck means yeah. according to the <laughs> author. Because when I read the title to me, it was like the art of being an asshole. That's kind of how I originally thought this book was. That's why I never read it. And you know, the people that referred it to me, they aren't assholes. But they really liked it. So let's see if we can try to digest this a little. Yeah. So according to Mark Manson, the first subtlety of not giving a fuck uh, means doesn't mean being indifferent. It means being comfortable with being different. Um, and I think that 
there is some value to this. I think the idea of what he was trying to say is that the art of not caring maybe, or, and I guess giving a fuck means to care, but like the art of being accepting of that you are different, that you are dealing with struggle, that you are in pain, that you are not perfect, that you are not maybe excellent. Right. And I think it's, it's a form of saying just being accepting. Yeah. And it's interesting because here's, it's another, when it got to this point in the book, it completely contradicts the title, right? The title of the book is the subtle art of not giving a fuck. But then Mark saying, right. You know, that he like a sneaky truth about life, right? There's no such thing as not giving a fuck, right? You must, you always have to give a fuck about something, right? You're always, like you're saying, if, if we're just kind of equating this to, um, you know, caring about something, there's, you must always give a fuck about something in your life at, at whatever point you're in, right? Whether it's family or friends or work or making money or uh, wanting to pull yourself out of a spot, right? At, you're always finding yourself at some point giving a fuck about something. Yeah, there's no way to be a void of giving a fuck. Yeah. There yeah. is no such thing. You have to have <laughs> at least one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we transition that into, you know, subtlety number two, and he kind of breaks these into, you know, kind of three chunks. And the second one, um, he, he makes a point that you can't give a fuck about adversity or, you know, or to not give a fuck about hard times or going through adversity, right? You first have to give effort, give a fuck about something more important than the adversity you're going through and the hard times and the stuff like that. Yeah. Right? So if you're continually giving, you know, giving a shit about, you know, stuff that bothers you or, you know, all this stuff, here's where it, the book, I thought, started to get a little repetitive, too. And it's the style of the book that may not mesh really well with a lot of people because he's there's cussing every other sentence, right? It. I feel like the book started to fall into a little bit of a feedback loop in and on itself, right? When I think there may have been a better way to convey the messages that he's going into. But I don't know. I'll share my thoughts. So the second subtlety, he's talking about caring about something more important than the suffering that will ensue. For example, a marriage. A marriage, it, it will always involve suffering. You have to die to yourself. You have to struggle. You have to fight. You have to do all these things. But people do it consistently because the outcome is greater than the suffering, right? So... I think in a way he's trying to be controversial in this book by using the words that don't give a fuck. But I think what I took away from it was that he's trying to say that in order for you to suffer in a way that's meaningful and valuable, you have to have a greater purpose in life. So, I mean, like if you are trying to strive to be the best athlete, you have to suffer more than anybody else to be the very best, right? You have to put in the most time. You have to work the hardest. You have to get yourself up in the mornings when nobody else is, right? That's just how life works. If you want to be the best dad, you have to do the same thing. If you want to be the best realtor, you have to do the same thing. You have to work when nobody else wants to work. You have to learn when nobody else is willing to learn. And I think what he's trying to say is, you know, you are taking away all the things, that, all of your mental attention from the, the pain and from the struggle, and you're devoting all of that attention to the end result, which is that I will be great or I will be the best version of myself in this, right? 
I think there's some value to that. But I think saying don't give a fuck about other stuff and all this, you know, I think he's just trying to be controversial. Yeah, I think so. And like, does that, am I summing up what I think that chapter was about? Very much so. Yeah. It, in a very, yes, in a very good way too. And it's like, you know, we, we've talked about this too. He brought up an example about when people, um, make a big deal about nothing. Yeah. For example, I had a buddy call me the other day. His neighbor legitimately called him pissed off and caused a huge scene because my buddy got solar on his house and didn't ask for permission from the neighbor first. Talk about giving a fuck about something you should not give a fuck about. That being said, the book talks about like, well, that guy has nothing going on in his life. That he has no greater purpose (laughs) in life. He's not a grandpa. He's not a dad. He's not a business owner. He's not. So all he has in life to, to give a shit about is, is other people's business that if he had anything greater than nothing, you know, he would focus on. And that's when he's saying you can't have a void of not caring. The guy doesn't care about nothing. He, he now cares about his neighbor having solar, not going and doing something for the world. You know, and something clicked for me when reading that part too, because, um, and you, you using a great example, real life example of something that happened the other day. I think it helps you know me now better understand people when they do act that way or when they um you know when a situation like that does pop up or if we have a seller or another agent on the other side of the transaction where you know something's blown completely out of proportion and and we're sitting there kind of like what the heck <laughs> what the heck is going on man but i here is where i thought dude there's just nothing that they have. You're always finding something to give a fuck about, right? And if you don't have any of these other, what we would say, important things to be giving a fuck about, right? Like family, friends, or business, that's where it falls down into these like these little small things that are so trivial, but to some people, that that it's not trivial for them, yeah. right? It, yeah, super interesting. The third subtlety jumps into kind of what we're talking about. So yeah. I just wanted to make sure that people know this is the third part is, yeah. is more about this, what you're choosing to focus on, you know? So it was uh, subtlety one is that you have to actually give a fuck about something in order to suffer. Two is then you're picking that thing over suffering. And then three is that you have the choice to pick what you're going to focus on. So, I mean, you know, he talks about maturity being the growing and ability to choose something. Uh, I think he put more fuck worthy again. I think <laughs> this guy, <laughs> I'm kind of getting tired of saying the F word. I know. Um, but it's like, he, he's talking about, okay, you know, as you get older, you start to be able to decide at a higher level, what you're going to actually focus on and what you're actually going to care about. And that will help make you a better person. Yeah, I was going to read <laughs> I was going to read this bullet point word for word and it goes maturity is what happens when one learns to only give a fuck about what's truly fuckworthy. And I think <laughs> like you said, I mean there's it's a lot of repetition. I'm I'm getting tired of saying that word too, but it's like there's like we've been saying there's there is truth to each of these. I think there is value to be pulled from each of these whether the message really is conveyed and really hits home in a way uh for the reader you know we'll see but now that we kind of hit those three 
subtleties. I think what we want to transition to is, you know, kind of not following the outline of the book, just pulling other things we saw in the book that were both helpful and yeah. we can kind of bring in and rope in for some value. Again, and like this book, I think was written by somebody whose main purpose was to be controversial. Absolutely. And 100%. he states that in the summary video. Yeah. So we didn't want to go through it line by line the way we would on another book where it seems like the structure was well thought out and intentional. We're just going to kind of hit the points that we felt were worth talking about. So hopefully we can save you some time. So let's talk about this first thing. Um, Something called the backwards law. And it comes from a philosopher named Alan Watts. And essentially what the backwards law says is, you know, our desire for a more positive experience is a negative experience and on the flip side the acceptance of a negative experience that we're going through is in and of itself a positive experience right so what what does that really mean right so if i went out and no let's use a real estate investing example right let's use a real life example from last year right a negative experience for me going three or four months, three, call it four months, going four months without closing a single deal, making $0 for four months straight. Right. Completely negative experience. Yeah. Completely shitty experience. Right now, according to the backwards law, right. That and all of the experiences, that experience as a whole in and of itself is a positive experience. And and why is that? You know, according to the backwards law, it's saying, right, that negative experience is a positive experience because of all the things you learned, all the hardships you went through, all of the um, grinding and consistency that you continued to put in to when right after that, right, closing two, three, four deals and pushing through those hard times, right? So um, I think some truth to to be said through this. I mean, to, exactly to a T. Do you know? Do I connect it and agree with it a hundred percent? No, but I do think you know there is again some some truth and some value to be pulled. But is it truly all you know clear cut and black and white? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the the key thing that makes this sentence even worthwhile discussing for me is that it's talking about the acceptance of a negative experience instead of just the experience itself. Um, And I think there's truth to be said that when you accept the circumstances instead of fighting it and avoiding it, there is a positive outcome from that down the road, right? Absolutely. I think the actual existence of negative experiences aren't positive. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The the keyword there being acceptance instead of in avoidance. denial, right? Or of or avoidance, right? Because we all know those people who you know, yeah, <laughs> who are just complete deniers, and uh, you know everything's going up in flames behind them. You can tell the you know the situation or whatever is not good, and it, it's like it's like the meme of you know the dog sitting in the burnt house. <laughs> everything is everything fine, is right? fine, and it's on fire. <laughs> well. I mean, let's, I mean, yeah. The next point, this is one, like, it's the biggest point in the book, in my opinion, yeah. or one of the biggest. And we totally agree with this, but there's no pain, no gain. You know, nothing in life worth doing is easy. I think that the book does a decent job of explaining that suffering is required to get anywhere you want to go. And that if your goal in life is to avoid suffering, you'll never go where you want to go and you're going to live a miserable life. 
and by accepting the fact that suffering is a part of the tra- like of the trail you will more easily get through it so you know that that's something i fundamentally agree with i don't love the way that he describes it um but it's something to think about yeah and that transitions into one of my biggest things um and biggest takeaways from the book i think it's something we've actually you know talked about you know on, on a smaller scale in, in a couple podcasts before but um you know the next big thing being you know don't hope for a life without problems right there there's no such thing as a life with zero problems right instead you know the concept being hope for a life you know with good problems and um manson brings in uh an example and and talks a little about a little bit about something called the hedonic treadmill and i had you know kind of grasped this concept but but he you know used this example and then i'll kind of use an example in entrepreneurs right so he goes okay Someone's sitting there, they, they really, really want a boat, right? And they say, you know, if I could just get this decked out dream boat, I'd be happy. And then they get the boat. And now you have to dock your boat and store your boat and you've got to pay to dock your boat. And then you're like, shit, that's really, really expensive. If, if I could just find a different docking station or a different dock with cheaper fees, you know, then, then I'd be a lot happier. And then it goes, well, if I could just now I've got this dock, but now none of my friends want to drive out here and go on my boat with me. Cause the cheaper docks, you know, an hour away. So if I could just get better friends that would come with me and go on my boat, then I'd be happy. Right. It's constantly picking apart all of this stuff. And I think the main concept to take away from this is problems never stop they merely get exchanged or upgraded and by upgraded not bigger they're just problems that you are more willing to deal with and the suffering that you're more comfortable dealing with and by you know when i heard that that was a really big light bulb for me because when i you know you don't think of problems you know upgraded is a weird word to associate with problems or you know what a lot of people would equate problems with as bad things right upgraded that means things are getting worse right but from my spot is if we're sitting here even looking back you know at a year ago two years ago right or ourselves looking ahead at other real estate professionals investors agents that are doing a lot bigger things than we are right the problems you and i are are experiencing right some lulls in income growing pains with growing a team and trying to scale right these problems are merely merely upgraded we've got investors who are converting freaking motels and hotels into multifamily units right they're dealing with a whole different set of problems that we're not dealing with but in my mind, those are upgraded problems, dude. You're working on bigger and better things. You're working on bigger deals. You're making more money. But there's upgraded problems that come with that, right? Yeah. The problems never go away. They're constantly shifting and changing to, you know, the experiences you're going through. That was one of my one of my favorite things I took away from the book. Yeah. No, and I think you recapped it well. I think um, at the end of the day, exactly what you said you know, when you upgrade your problems, it's it's for the better. And you're picking things that you want to struggle with, not things that you don't like to struggle with. Yeah. Yep. 
There's some of this kind of want to breeze over more quickly. Yeah. Um, things like he was talking about uh, negative emotions or calls to action when you feel them, you're supposed to do something. I think that's a, a fundamentally right statement. Um, but it was, you know, we kind of pull that out of context out of the book. It's not necessarily fitting the theme of the book that yeah. he says that kind of stuff. Um, he also talks about, uh, you know, what determines success. And I think this is where the book shifts more into changing what you care about and deciding how you care about things. Mm-hmm. He calls it values and, and cares more about, um, you know, what underlying things you care about. That's what's going to define what you're successful at. You know, success, and we've said this before, is not a dollar amount or a number of properties you own or being financially free. Success is different for each person. Um, and so I think he does actually a pretty decent job of of clarifying that when he says don't give an f it's not about don't care about anything it's about don't care about the things that aren't where you want to go and so you know he talks about you know our struggles determining our success um our problems actually are what lead us to being happy because problems give us a sense of value in our life right if you had no problems you'd be bored and he talks about the buddha right for those yeah. who don't know, and I'm going to try to recap the Buddha story, but you know, there's obviously plenty of recaps you could find. The Buddha was apparently a very wealthy young kid uh, under a king, and he was protected from all suffering and pain until he was a man, and then, uh, or a young a young man. And then, when the Buddha snuck out one night of the castle, he discovered pain and suffering and all that, and he decided, well, my life is so miserable now with no pain. I'm going to submerge myself only in pain and that will give me value in life. And uh, he did that and he suffered. And uh, when he came back to the king, the king said, well, you know, why did you do that? And he said, well, you protected me from suffering and blah, blah, blah. Now, at the end of the day, we all know a life of pure suffering isn't a life that is fulfilling necessarily. But we also know a life that is fulfilling does require suffering. So it's kind of... um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's kind of trying to describe the the relationship between suffering and success. And that, in Mark Manson's opinion, success is fully subjective in what you care about. And you can control what you care about. And then when you can control what you care about, the suffering is more bearable and your life is better. Yeah, I think what you said where um, that I also think was, uh, I think coming from a good spot when, you know, putting this book together is that everybody's like you would recap everybody's version or vision of success is different. Right. And I think this is where he was very contrarian in the way that he wanted to kind of go against the grain. Like not everybody wants badass cars, a big ass mansion living on the beach, right? Not everybody wants that. So I think he did get to do a good job at conveying that you've got to figure out, you know, what, what your values are and what your version of success is. Right. And talking about values, he also something good, I think, you know, was a good takeaway from the book. He kind of broke values into what are good values and what are bad values. Right. And it was interesting because he goes, good values are one reality based two socially constructive and three, they are immediate and or controllable. Right. And then on the flip side to what bad values consist of, right? They're superstitious. They're socially destructive and they're not immediate and or controllable. Mm -hmm. Now, if we unpack that a little bit, I think 
that was you know a, a good distinction between the two right it, we do the same thing and we've talked about the same thing when um it may have been our book review on tra- atomic habits atomic habits with habits and goals needing to be actionable needing to be right with controllable right all of these things so i think breaking those off into talking about values um what was a good takeaway from me from yeah for the book as well well and so you know he brought up the example of honesty as a good value mm-hmm. and and the purpose of bringing up honesty is that you know it's definite right and it's easy to see and it's easy to decide so and said, you completely know, in your control right so you know even if being honest sometimes means you tell your wife that she doesn't look good in that dress he from his opinion believes that that makes his relationship more trusting and that because she knows he'll tell her when she doesn't look good, she actually believes him when she said when he says that she does look good, right? You know, I again, I think he's got good points to be made in this book. I just think the general premise of the book was a little bit off-putting. And then, for example, a bad value would be uh, being liked by everybody. You know, that sounds like a good value, but it's superficial. You know, you can't make everybody like you. It's not within your control. And a lot of the times, all the things that you think bad about yourself are what you think other people think about you. And so it leads to a life of suffering and pain, but it's not worthwhile suffering and pain. Whereas being honest and focusing on being an honest and trustworthy person sometimes requires that you do things that cause pain. But the pain and suffering are things that you would prefer to have because it does make your life better. Did I recap that right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And as we kind of get to the end here, um, a couple last, what I think are important points too. He also does a, a, a good job, in my opinion, of connecting responsibility and blame, right? And, you know, essentially that accepting responsibility for our problems is the first step to solving them. And I think, you know, anybody who re-listens or rereads that sentence, right? Accepting responsibility for our problems is the first step to solving them. And I think that statement is 1000% true because we were talking about it a little bit earlier. If you're sitting there in denial of your problems, right? If you're just kind of, you're, you're the dog in the burning house saying everything is fine, right? How are any of those problems going to get solved, right? You're going to be stuck in that feedback loop of just all bad things, right? So being able to take responsibility for what your problems are is the first step to getting them solved. Well, and and he talks about people being concerned about taking responsibility because they feel that they will be blamed. And he, he breaks it down. Responsibility is present future tense, right? Blame is past tense. If you get in a car accident and you were drinking and driving, you're both responsible and to blame. If you get cancer, you're responsible, but you're not to blame. Both cases require that you take responsibility and the person who takes responsibility will have a much better life and they will suffer in a way that is fulfilling and makes their life better than the person who lives in a state of denial because it's so painful to acknowledge that they are now responsible for dealing with their consequences, right? And I think there's a lot to say there. Um, Like, for example, if you get into a bad deal, regardless of if the market shifted or not, you are still responsible for figuring out how to make this right. You might not be at blame or at fault for the market shifting. But now that you're here, 
if you had two investors, one who says, well, this is bullshit. I shouldn't be losing money right now. I did everything by the book. This should be paying me money and I'm losing money. And then you have another investor who says, life happens. Risk is always inevitable. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to get out of this deal. I'm going to figure out how to make another one. The person who is in the latter, who takes responsibility and moves forward, is going to live a happier life and be more successful in everybody else's eyes because they took responsibility. Neither are to be blamed, but one lives in a state of denial and, and avoidance, and the other takes responsibility and moves forward. And you and I always strive to be the latter, but sometimes we're the former. Yeah, I think this that distinction you made in recapping that um, you did really, really well is making that distinction between, you know, responsibility and fault or blame, right? Um, and, and being able to, one, acknowledge that distinction, but two, also, whether you are at fault or not at fault, it is your responsibility to respond one way or the other, right? right? So you have able, to choose. Yeah, you have to choose. And so I think that probably one of the most important things in the book in, in my mind is, you know, obviously responsibility already being an important um and, and a big value, but being able to do that in a way that leads to more success. The right? last thing is a little weird. And, and yeah. this, I, I want to talk about this and then I have something else I want to talk about. Yeah. He brings up death and he thinks that this is the most important chapter of the whole book. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he's fighting a traumatic experience from when he was 19, when he lost his friend. I think this is him writing a book, but he's still probably just grieving and going through that. And I, I bet that his perception of not giving a fuck solves problems probably plays a huge role in him still suffering you know 20 years later from his friend passing away in an accident because he never was able to actually unpack that but he, he thinks that keeping death at the forefront of your brain at all times guides you to make the right decisions and when i read this it's funny we talked about rick and morty before the episode do you remember the Rick and Morty episode where he has the death crystals? Yes. And the way that the episode works is he holds his death crystal to his head and he can tell every decision he makes how it ends up killing him. And he lives his life making decisions on how to get to this girl, Jessica, and he ruins his life, like literally ruins his life. And I feel like keeping death at the forefront of your brain doesn't actually lead you to doing the right decisions. It leads you to make wrong decisions, accepting that you're mortal and that at the end of the day, you will die. I think that's an important thing in life, but I don't think it's as important as he thinks it is. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it, <laughs> like, it's a weird analogy to tie together, but I don't get it. And I try, you know, this part too, just because it was so out of the blue, dude. Like I tried. And like you said, I think you did a good job of maybe putting yourself in his shoes as to thinking why, you know, this why he thinks this may be beneficial or why he thinks this may be um, a, a good way to go about it, right? But yeah, I'm with you, dude. 24-7 going through, making, you know, minor, major decisions every single day with, with death and your, uh, you know, your mortality at the front of your mind is... I, quite frankly, dude, that's not a way I want to go back, go no. about e each and every one of my days. So, yeah, very, very, very interesting. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, there was one other thing I want to talk about because it wasn't in here. I'm trying to remember what reminded me of it. Um, the death part? No, it was before the death. Um, we were talking about responsibility and blame. Oh, 
acknowledging that you are not exceptional or unique. Oh, this yes. is something that, okay, yes. it kind of resonated with me a little bit. And this is the one thing that I think was kind of an asshole thing that he said that I thought to myself, maybe that's an honest truth. One, he talks about sometimes the most truthful things are the most painful to hear. But sometimes I think the way you say it matters. He talked about uh, everybody talks in our culture about everybody can be exceptional. And it reminds me of the movie um, The Incredibles, where mm -hmm. if everybody's super, nobody is. And he literally says that verbatim. And I think there's something to be said that in order to become wildly successful in your own life, not to become mega wealthy, not to be the CEO of some top fortune company, like to be successful in the way that you view success requires that you acknowledge that you're not successful yet. And that a lot of people struggle to understand or like be accepting that it's okay to not be exceptional and that the constant pursuit of being exceptional is exceptional in itself and that the value is the struggle of trying to become the best version of yourself. It's not a destination. It's the journey. Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he equates that, um, you know, with, with a sense of entitlement, right? I don't know if oh, you remember him, I totally forgot. him going through this part, right? But, you know, you've got the two polar opposites, right? If we, if we put average in the middle and we've got the ultra successful, um, exceptional, person right but then also somebody at the the other end of the spectrum somebody who is constantly being the victim constantly playing the blame game right their sense of entitlement because they're different right and that on the other end of the spectrum their sense of feeling entitled because they're different they're not average right yeah. whether that's in a good way or a bad way those two groups feeling a sense of entitlement because they aren't average right which i think was um I, yeah this part was in going through this there it was interesting to say the least i think going through it in uh whether you listen to it or you read it i think i'd be interested you know to see some other people's takeaways on that yeah this whole book i i will say it maybe it's because we read it too quickly maybe this is a book that requires you to read it a few times I would say if, if you're considering reading the, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, be prepared to just be told stuff that maybe you're going to just blatantly disagree with and accept the fact that maybe there's truths uh, in the book and there's other things that you can let go. I probably won't recommend this book. That's, that's my final verdict, I think. I would... I would recommend the book and the reason the only reason I say that is not the only reason one of the big reasons I say that is because we had so much feedback to give about it that was not just blatantly agreeing and um, you know giving praise to the entire book the reason I recommend it is because you know I, I think it's good to come across you know, these type of books where it does make you stop and think and reevaluate and say, okay, is there any value? Is there anything to what this guy is saying for this concept or, or is there not? Right. I think, and like I said, you gave some great points. Maybe it was, you know, how quickly we read it. Maybe it was, you know, 
I think each and every person will receive and and take away different ideas from the book depending on who you are. So I'd say read it. Come up, come out with your own opinion. See uh, what you do agree with, what you disagree with, what value you do pull from the book. Because I'd be curious if any of our listeners have or um, or do plan on reading the book. Uh, reach out because I, I, I hope we I, miss something. I, I want to hear what hear what what you think about it. And in case we did maybe miss the mark on any uh, message or misinterpreted anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's our review of the subtle art of not giving a fuck. I would say, um, yeah, give it a read. I would love to hear other people's opinions at the end of the day. You know, you can read something that you don't dis- that you don't fully agree with and you can still take out good points and bad points. And worst case scenario, you sharpen your knife uh, or you sharpen your sword on why you believe what you believe. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Property podcast. We on deck. We are hoping um, to have some really great guests on here shortly in kind of a panel style talking about the market, talking about shifting, talking about how to succeed uh, in the new year. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week. See you next week, guys.